I don't think anyone has said it better so far than Jason Jorgensen, whose thoughts on the incoming weather are thus. It's sickening how nice it is out right now, <laughs> compared with what's on the horizon. The outlook certainly is. We'll get into all of that for your particular area here on Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Bob Brogan sitting right over there with business in just a moment. And live from Innovation Studios, it's Susan Littlefield. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow, Jason. Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly there's not much we can do about it. Winter storm watch in effect from Wednesday on through Thursday morning. We'll tell you all about it here. Right now, though, we have Susan Littlefield. How do you like those studios in Lincoln? It's pretty cool, but I think Bryce is ready for me to leave because my phone keeps ringing and I'm answering emails and talking to people, and so he's probably like going, like some peace and quiet in here, please. <laughs> <laughs> All right, very good. Well, tell us what's coming up today on Midday, Susan. Well, we're going to learn more about drones. You know, more and more popularity. Folks are just like us. We have our um, Ag Force One that we use, but drones becoming more popular for producers, for folks that just want to mess around with them. And so at 1219, there's um, some regulations that are being talked about to regulate it on a state level. So Bryce will have more for us. And, of course, Shaley Peters is en route back from Nashville, Tennessee. And at 1245, she's got the president. She'll be having some of his comments from the extensive speech that he gave on the floor yesterday. Over 7,000 people in attendance to hear the president yesterday. And then Sonny Perdue at 117, all from the American Farm Bureau Convention. All right. What takes you to Lincoln today, Susan? Pretty exciting. The uh, new CEO is going to be announced and greeted from Farm Credit Services of America. They're having a big event this afternoon, so we're going to be there to shake hands, do some interviews, and, and find out what the pulse is on agriculture from an economic standpoint for, for credit folks. The Rural Radio Network, it's everywhere, it's everywhere. And we are. All right. All right. Susan, thank you. thank you. Thank you. Jason Jorgensen on Sports Big Game, and boy, what a finish. It was. It was a sleepy start. It was pretty boring first half, but the second half and overtime made up for it as Alabama once again wins the title. Nick Saban looks like a genius, replacing his quarterback at half, putting a freshman in. And what now, what's can you say? I, what's this I heard about? Now, Saban has been challenged like eight or nine times by people who have been his protégés before. For yeah, former assistants. And, and has not lost nope. one. Nope. So... You got the Jedi Master and the Padawan, and the Jedi Master continues to get it done. Also coming up in sports, we'll talk some Nebraska men's basketball. They're back at home for the first time this calendar year as they take on Wisconsin. You'd like to think this is a game the Huskers could get at home. We'll get the thoughts from head coach Tim Miles. Of course, Nebraska's coming off a respectable loss on Saturday at Purdue. And also, many of the top players in the USHL will be on... uh, in hand, on hand, in Kearney tonight for the USHL-NHL Prospects game, which starts at 7.35, and that's a big deal for Kearney to host that. Absolutely. Action on ice tonight at the Viero. And Bob Brogan on business. Stocks are higher on Wall Street, led by gains in banks and health care companies. U.S. employers posted fewer jobs in November. Target joining other retailers in reporting booming sales uh, during the Critical holiday season, all that and more coming up in our business report today. And stay with your rural radio network station for all the information you'll need on incoming weather. This is Midday on the Rural Radio Network. 
And now it's time for our Ag Weather. Paul Perkins is in, brought to you by Kuhlman Repair. And uh, I'll tell you what, you could not look at this day by itself and imagine that tomorrow afternoon is going to be what it's going to be. Yeah, especially, actually probably more towards uh, Thursday is when it'll really start to go down till Still uh, pretty decent through most of the day tomorrow, but could actually see maybe some rain or thunderstorms tomorrow afternoon. It's tomorrow night that really... Yeah. I need to ask you, well, when are we going to see the changeover? When does that temperature really start to fall and that rain become a problem? From what I've seen, actually, like in central portions of Nebraska, by about midnight Wednesday oh, night. Not, yeah, not when, midnight tomorrow. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, But uh, this front, though, could start to speed up. And when they are talking, of course, uh, some snow across much and snow and blowing snow in the panhandle during the day tomorrow. So west central areas of Nebraska could start really feeling the effects by the evening tomorrow night. All so. right, very good. But, yeah, otherwise, temperatures right now very nice. Most areas low in mid-40s. We're up to 50 currently at Thedford, 55 at Imperial. And we do have 61 in northeast Colorado at Holyoke. Some 50s to the low 60s over much of northwest Kansas into northeast Colorado. Thanks to a ridge of high pressure, it's overhead for today. That's going to lead to more sunshine. Those temperatures about 10 to 15 degrees warmer than usual in many areas. A little bit warmer than that, though, across already in northeastern areas of Colorado. That ridge starts to break down as some low pressure emerges from the four corners for tomorrow on into Thursday. Most of tomorrow stays mild ahead of the cold front. The rain is possible and a little thunder can't be completely ruled out with this system as we head towards tomorrow afternoon. That cold front will surge south tomorrow evening and cross the area by about midnight. Right now we do have winter storm watches posted for central and east Nebraska uh, for tomorrow night on into Thursday morning across much of the area. It's going to be a quick moving system west central Nebraska, especially if you're along the west of a line from O'Neill to Broken Bow, North Platte and Stockville, you are in a winter weather advisory. Most areas expected to average about 2 to 4 inches in Nebraska, maybe 1 to 3 inches across portions of Kansas. We could see some localized spots in the Nebraska sand hills and towards northeast Nebraska get upwards of about 6 inches with this system. Now confidence remains high for the intense winds and cold there. That is going to be probably a certainty. The confidence, though, a little bit lower on the exact snow amounts exactly and also exactly where the main snow band's set up. Amounts will be refined as the system moves closer. And you can see what we do have for snow forecast amounts on our KRVN Facebook page. And we also have those graphics for advisories on our KRVN Facebook page. It's a quick-moving system. It departs the area by Thursday morning, and then the snow will end. Don't be surprised if we're seeing sunshine as soon as Thursday afternoon, if not sooner. The winds, though, remaining on the intense and strong side for Thursday. Another cold front brings a reinforcing shot of frigid air and light snow for Friday. Bitter cold wind chills of 10 to 20 below are forecast for Friday night into Saturday morning. Temperatures rebound slightly for Sunday in between systems. Another cold front Sunday night into Monday with some more small chances of snow. In the long-term forecast, temperatures for Nebraska and Kansas look to be seasonal to colder than normal early on next week. Now, there's a high likelihood of warmer-than-normal temperatures the middle of next week through January 22nd. Mid-January highs in central Nebraska usually average in the upper 30s, with overnight lows mostly in the mid-teens. Our precipitation forecast for Nebraska and Kansas starts drier than normal early next week, then will trend above normal precipitation the middle of next week through the 22nd. Key weather factors driving the markets include heat stress in crops in parts of Argentina, and more favorable weather in Brazil. Here in the U.S., precipitation will continue to spread farther inland across the west. The rain moving onshore 
causing already deadly mudslides in Southern California. Precipitation will spread across the northern and central plains and the Corn Belt and deliver significant snow tomorrow and Thursday from Nebraska northward and across the upper Midwest. That snow will benefit the winter wheat in the northern plains areas, but could stress the livestock and cause travel disruptions. Later in the week, precipitation will return to the eastern U.S. with snow from the Ohio Valley to the interior northeast. Across the southern plains wheat areas, it will remain mostly dry the next 10 days, but no significant cold is forecast. The main Argentina corn and soybean areas continue to be in a variable pattern. The periods of hot weather are increasing the risk to crops, especially in the next few days. Rain at the end of the week will ease that stress some. Elsewhere in Argentina, minor corn and soybean areas of La Pampa and southern Buenos Aires are under a more extreme pattern of heat and less rain. Developing soybeans in central Brazil continue to benefit from a favorable crop weather pattern. The pattern more variable in southern Brazil where there's still adequate to somewhat short soil moisture supplies, as storm in Rio Grande Sul Sunday should bring better rains. This Ag Weather Watch brought to you by Kuhlman Repair. And so what we've got is first the rain and then cold with snow, and then colder and then colder in the next several days. Exactly. Just lesser chances for snow for this weekend. But the big thing with this next storm system, uh, especially tomorrow night into Thursday's Especially when everybody's kind of moving at about Thursday morning, it's going to be some strong winds, no doubt, probably causing some visibility problems. All right, and that may be the biggest problem from this storm is the, the blowing and, and drifting. Exactly, yeah. We're not going to see a whole lot of snow, really, from it, you know. No five to eight inches. We're only talking maybe one to four inches in many locations. All right. And when you need weather anytime, krvn.com. Get the latest on President Trump's speech yesterday in Nashville at the Farm Bureau annual meeting. Senator Moran's urge to the president on the importance of NAFTA to agriculture and how beef and pork exports made a record in 2017. I'm Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network. President Trump was the first U.S. president in over 25 years to address the attendees of the American Farm Bureau Federation's annual meeting. Rural Radio Network's Shaley Peters was in Nashville at the event and brings us more from President Trump's speech. He made quite the appearance. And that's why I'm so honored to be the first president to address the American Farm Bureau in more than 25 years. What happened? Where are they? What happened? What happened? Where are they? In a room packed and spilling over into others, American Farm Bureau members welcomed President Trump to Nashville yesterday, where he made it a point to address some of the biggest issues they're facing. And from now on, most family farms and small business owners will, will be spared. And you're going to be spared, and it really is the word punishment of the deeply unfair estate tax known as the death tax so you can keep your farms in the family. That was a tough one to get. That was a tough one. Obviously, you love your families, otherwise you wouldn't be standing for that one. Trump also signed presidential orders yesterday to better rural broadband. From Nashville, for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaylee Peters. When it came to NAFTA, however, President Trump only made a small mention of the trade deal, saying his administration is working to renegotiate NAFTA to make the agreement better for agriculture. Senator Jerry Moran of Kansas also spoke at the Farm Bureau meeting on the upcoming Farm Bill 
After his speech, Senator Moran issued a press release thanking Farm Bureau for allowing him to speak, but also urging producers to push for keeping NAFTA. In the press release, Senator Moran said, This conference also allowed for ample discussion regarding the importance of NAFTA and trade. Our nation's farmers and ranchers earn their living through ag exports and trade, and I will continue to insist that this administration remain mindful of the role agricultural trade plays in our economy. I urge conference attendees and Farm Bureau leaders to convey this message to President Trump and Secretary Purdue. I am encouraged by the President's attendance at the conference and his desire to hear from our farmers and ranchers across the country. Keeping with exports, the U.S. Meat Federation just tallied November 2017 USDA export data. The data shows that U.S. pork exports recorded their highest ever monthly value in November at $615.6 million. For January through November 2017, pork export value increased 10% year-to-year to $5.9 billion. One of the biggest driving factors for the increase in exports was the pork variety meats. They increased 17% in value from a year ago and topped a billion dollars for the first time on record. U.S. Meat Export Federation President and CEO Dan Halstrom also added that November was another strong month for U.S. beef exports to key Asian markets. He highlights the factors driving export growth to leading markets like Japan and says the early feedback on U.S. beef in China is very favorable. This comes as China reopened U.S. beef in June 2017 after an absence of more than 13 years following the December 2003 BSE case. With strong December exports expected, U.S. beef exports will likely set a new value record in 2017, topping the previous high of $7.13 billion in 2014. Keep a straight row. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Using a drone to spy on neighbors, drop drugs into prisons, or harass cows could lead to criminal charges under a new bill Nebraska lawmakers will consider later this year. Good afternoon to you. I'm Bryce Duskit reporting for the Rural Radio Network. Senator Carol Blood of Bellevue says she introduced the bill to protect the public without overregulating drones, while opponents say the bill does very little to actually address public safety. First, I catch up with the senator to talk about her original intent with drafting the regulations. There actually are like 40 different states, probably more now, that have legislation of some type that pertains to drones. So when I um, came on as a freshman senator, I actually wanted to address the drone issue because, again, I think our statute is willfully behind when it comes to technology. And drone, of course, is relatively new technology. And I wanted to be, be really careful that I didn't overregulate because FAA does a very effective job of monitoring what's going on from 400 feet and above. Um, that's their area. They're responsible for airspace, and I respect that. So for me, my concern really was about public safety. Um, And you'll see that a lot of the bills that I bring forward, in addition to technology, pertain to public safety. The senator goes into detail of what the bill would cover. The number one thing for me was prison and jail yards. We don't want drones to fly over prison and jail yards dropping in contraband, be it a weapon, be it a cell phone, be it drugs. And then we started looking at, well, how else can drones be used when it comes to crime? Well, one of the things that I have a grave concern of, um, especially in my part of the state, is that we are on the terrorist watch list because of off at Air Force Base. We don't want drones flying over critical infrastructure. And no matter where you're at in the state, be it utilities, railroad yards, we don't want ne'er-do-wells that don't have permission to be there to fly over that area. And then we don't want them utilized for voyeurism. For instance, if you have been told, that, uh, if there's a protection order against somebody and you've been told to leave that person alone, 
and then you get the brilliant idea that you're going to use technology to stalk the person, you should be held accountable. And we've also made sure that our first responders are protected in the way that if a drone interferes um, with an emergency call that and it happens to get damaged, they're released from liability because your drone doesn't belong in that emergency scene. And then, of course, the cattlemen. This is what's really important to me is that in western Nebraska especially, that's their livelihood. And so if somebody takes a drone and they chase your cattle and they, they cause distress and a cattle is, that, that cow is ultimately killed, you've lost money, right? That hits you in the wallet. Now, the thing I want to be really clear on, and again, there's a long list of public safety issues in this bill, and it is only public safety issues. We've been very specific. The only place we're regulating airspace is the prison yards, the critical infrastructure, and schools. But opponents say the bill is too far-reaching and overregulates. Justin Kaiser is the co-founder and director of flight operations for Digital Sky, a Nebraska-based drone company. Well, she said she sought the opinion of the FAA, which I find hard to believe just because the FAA tries to regulate airspace themselves just as much as anything else. Um, Congress gives them basically the final authority on the regulation of airspace and so it seems to me that anytime a local government or a state government would come to the FAA and say hey we want to regulate this airspace the FAA would say no that's our job basically what she's doing in the bill is saying you can only fly a drone over property um, which is in the FAA's airspace if you are a commercial operator flying above 200 feet and that according to other case law that's that's happened is a is a pretty big no-no when it comes to doing that. So it's, it's hard for me to believe that she's consulted the FAA. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskit. It's the midday program on the Rural Radio Network, and time to check sports now with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, fourth-ranked Alabama rallied for a 26-23 win over third-ranked Georgia last night in the college football playoff national championship game. It's the fifth national championship since 2009 under head coach Nick Saban. For the first time this calendar year, the Nebraska men's basketball team is back at Pinnacle Bank Arena as the Huskers host Wisconsin tonight. The Huskers are coming off a five-game gauntlet against Big Ten teams that made the postseason a year ago. Now, the Huskers came up short at Purdue on Saturday, 74-62, to fall to 11-6 on the season. Despite that loss, head coach Tim Miles hopes they can build on that performance. It's, it's always disappointing to lose, especially when you feel like you do it to yourself. But we know Purdue's really good. There's no doubt Purdue's really good, but... I do believe in our guys, and I think hopefully it can be a, you know, at least the idea that um, it gives you a, a little bit of a uh, strength and depth in your confidence that, that, you know, you can play with anybody any night, anywhere. Wisconsin has certainly been up and down so far this year. The Badgers are 9-8. and eight. Tip-off tonight in Lincoln is set for 7-30. Other games of note, it's 12th-ranked Kansas against Iowa State. 25th-ranked Creighton takes on Butler, and 5th-ranked Purdue has a big game at Michigan. 40 of the USHL's top eligible players for this year's NHL draft will be on display in the USHL-NHL Top Prospects game at the Viero Center in Kearney tonight. Tri-City Storm play-by-play announcer Kendall Grayson says this is a real honor for the players. The USHL does not have a a typical all-star team. Instead, the NHL scouts get together and they make this roster. It's the best draft-eligible players for 
the USHL that will be competing in this. It's going to be an intense game. It's not going to be like your typical all-star game that you may watch on TV. This is going to be a tightly contested hockey game than, than what you may see in a, in a typical all-star format. Tonight's game is scheduled to start at 7.35 at the Viero Center in Kearney. And Bill Belichick says he absolutely intends to return as a New England Patriots coach next year, despite reports of turmoil involving himself, quarterback Tom Brady, and owner Robert Kraft. Belichick said yesterday that he had nothing more to add to the joint statement from the three last week in response to an ESPN report detailing an array of issues. Asked about another report of his interest in coaching the New York Giants, Patriots coach said he is focused on New England's playoff game Saturday night against Tennessee. That's a look at sports. Have a good afternoon. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Winter storm is on track to produce accumulating snow, sharply colder air, and intense northerly winds Wednesday night into Thursday morning. I'm Dave Schroeder, the Check of News. State senators kicked off their annual debate Monday on legislation that would allow motorcyclists to ride through the state without a helmet if they're at least 21 years old. This year's bill by Senator John Lowe of Kearney would require riders to use eye protection but would eliminate the helmet mandate for most riders. Passengers who are younger than six years old would not be allowed to ride. Senator Lowe says many other activities have risks, but the participant isn't required to wear a helmet. Perfectly legal for somebody riding in a convertible. Perfectly legal for somebody riding on a jet ski. Perfectly legal. For somebody in a car, perfectly legal for somebody walking down the street. We only pick on the motorcycle rider. Senator Robert Hilkeman of Omaha isn't convinced. Every family that has had one of these tragedies, it affects them deeply, personally, and forever. Anything that we can do to prevent, I think we need to continue that law into effect. Opponents of the repeal bill blocked it last year with a filibuster. The bill's supporters fell one vote short of the support they needed to force an end to debate and bring the issue to a vote. Meanwhile, a bill that would raise the cost of a handgun permit from $5 to $25 is stirring debate among Nebraska lawmakers. Senator Carol Blood of Bellevue presented the measure to the full legislature Tuesday, describing it as a user fee that's necessary to help counties cover their costs. Blood says Nebraska's three largest counties have seen a sharp increase in the number of permit applications that needed to be processed. Blood says the legislature's reluctance to allow such fee increases creates pressure on county boards to raise property taxes. Gun rights groups argue that the increase is too large and question whether it reflects the actual cost of processing permits. In 2015, a measure that raised the cost of marriage license fees triggered a contentious and drawn-out debate among lawmakers. Kansas legislators are waiting to see what Republican Governor Sam Brownback proposes on funding for public schools in his annual State of the State address. Brownback was scheduled to give the annual speech Tuesday evening to a joint session of the legislature. Lawmakers face a mandate from Kansas Supreme Court to boost spending on public schools. Our app is a perfect companion to your phone. Download it free in the App Store or Google Play. I'm Dave Schroeder.
I'm so honored to be the first president to address the American Farm Bureau in more than 25 years. What happened? Where are they? What happened? What happened? Where are they? Yesterday, President Donald Trump addressed nearly 7,000 farmers and ranchers that were down in Nashville for a part of the American Farm Bureau Federation's annual convention and meeting. I'm Shaylee Peters on the Rural Radio Network. He jumped right in with a statement like that and continued on to talk about different aspects in his first year. One of the first things he touched on was taxes. Small and mid-sized businesses will receive massive tax cuts. It's a lot of the folks in this room. They'll be able to deduct 20% of their business income. All American businesses, including American farmers, will be able to deduct 100% of the cost of new equipment in the year you make the investment. That is something that is tremendous. That is something that I think is going to be the sleeper of the bill. You deduct it all in one year, as opposed to over many years. That's a tremendous thing. And from now on, most family farms and small business owners will, will be spared. And you're going to be spared, and it really is the word punishment, of the deeply unfair estate tax known as the death tax, so you can keep your farms in the family. That was a tough one to get. That was a tough one. Obviously, you love your families. Otherwise, you wouldn't be standing for that one. He continued on to talk about WOTUS and what they're doing there. As we put money back in the pockets of all Americans, including our farmers and ranchers, we're also putting an end to the regulatory assault on your way of life. And it was an assault indeed. For years, many of you have endured burdensome fines, inspections, paperwork, and relentless intrusion from an army of regulators at the EPA, the FDA, and countless other federal agencies. My administration is in the process of rolling back a rule that hit our farmers and ranchers very, very hard. The terrible waters of the United States rule. You know about that. It sounds so nice. It sounds so innocent. And it was a disaster. And I have to say this. When I signed it, I say, oh, I'm going to be killed on this one. And you know what? People came to me and they saw me and they were crying. Men that were tough and strong, women that were tough and strong, they'd see me, their tears coming down their eyes because I gave them back their property. I gave them back their farms. They couldn't use them. We uh, ditched the rule, I call it. We ditched the rule. He also briefly gave an update on NAFTA and what his expectations are with the farm bill. To level the playing field for our great American exporters, our farmers and ranchers, as well as our manufacturers, we're reviewing all of our trade agreements to make sure that they are fair and reciprocal. Reciprocal, so important. On NAFTA, I am working very hard to get a better deal for our country and for our farmers and for our manufacturers. It's under negotiation as we speak. But think of it, when Mexico's making all of that money, when Canada's making all of that money, it's not the easiest negotiation. But we're going to make it fair for you people again. Now we want to see even more victories for the American farmer 
and for the American rancher. Here today is Senate Agriculture Committee Chairman Pat Roberts, and I'm looking forward to working with Congress to pass the Farm Bill on time so that it delivers for all of you, and I support a bill that includes crop insurance, unless you don't want me to. And finally, and maybe most importantly, he talked about his rural task force and what they've done. He also signed two presidential orders for rural broadband and touched on infrastructure. We're also moving swiftly to bring hope and prosperity to struggling rural communities. Last April, I commissioned a task force to meet with farmers and local communities to find the greatest barriers to rural prosperity. Today, this task force is releasing its final report, and I am taking action right at that beautiful table. I'm going to be signing two very important bills. The task force heard from farmers that broadband internet access is an issue of vital concern to their communities and businesses. That is why today, in a few minutes, I will take the first step to expand access to broadband internet in rural America so you can compete on a level playing field which you were not able to do. Not fair. I will sign two presidential orders to provide broader and faster and better internet coverage. The task force also focused on the need to rebuild our crumbling rural infrastructure. We've already slashed harmful restrictions that delayed critical infrastructure projects for decades and decades, hard to believe. And we are proposing infrastructure reforms to ensure that our rural communities have access to the best roadways, railways, and waterways anywhere in the world. And that's what's happening. We're going to be spending the necessary funds, and we're going to get you taken care of. It's about time. Again, hearing from President Donald Trump as he addressed members of the American Farm Bureau Federation down at their annual meeting and convention going on in Nashville. He talked to them yesterday. And from all of our AFBF coverage, find us on Facebook and Twitter or visit RuralRadio.com. From Nashville, I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network. Next, we'll get a review of the livestock futures picture with Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities. Joe? Yeah, it was a a very choppy day in the uh, cattle, uh, uh, opening uh, a little bit uh, lower than uh, back and forth over uh, unchanged, and we're going to finish mostly higher. Uh, The uh, one exception right now is just the uh, January feeder contract, which did close lower. But uh, uh, overall, uh, market... uh, showing uh, signs of just a little bit of a reversal here uh, back up to to the upside. So it looks like uh, uh, the possibility we may see uh, a little continuation tomorrow uh, as we await uh, a cattle trade, which really hasn't uh, even begun to develop. The cutouts were higher at noon again, uh, and uh, that helped, uh, plus the fact that we were very oversold uh, coming into uh, today. So I think uh, some profit-taking ensued uh, from that. Over in the hogs, uh, uh, going to finish mixed uh, and moderately uh, on either side of unchanged. Cash is firm. Cutouts were higher at noon. Uh, 
we just keep uh, going along. And the futures seem to be just waiting uh, for that index to close the gap a little bit. Uh, so uh, that, I think, helped uh, keep the uh, hogs from uh, any substantial rally today. Thanks, Joe. Joe Cotille, Great Plains Commodities. Call 800-328-0134. Week-to-date estimate on slaughter cattle, 236,000. Last week a holiday, 6,000 more than the same period a year ago. Hog slaughter projected 930,000 so far, 85,000 more than the same period one year ago. This is the Rural Radio Network. Secretary Sonny Perdue took the opportunity yesterday in front of American Farm Bureau Federation members down in Nashville to highlight what the USDA is doing. I'm Shaley Peters, back with you on the Rural Radio Network. He spoke ahead of President Trump yesterday and jumped right in by starting with the North American Free Trade Agreement. So I know there's a certain uh, amount of anxiety about uh, what's going on in trade these days. And so let's just talk about it for a minute. We know, we know that trade is a key to rural and farm prosperity. Canada and Mexico continue to be major markets for United States exports. So a successful completion and improvement of the NAFTA negotiations remains a top priority of this administration. But to get a deal, we need all sides to seriously roll up their sleeves and get to work. We, the United States, have put a number of proposals on the table to modernize NAFTA and critically for agriculture to address key sectors left out of that original agreement, specifically dairy and poultry tariffs in Canada. Now, we want to ask our partners to the north, our negotiating partners, to step up and engage in meaningful conversation so we can get the deal done for them and for you. And finally, he took the opportunity to announce the results of a report the World Task Force released. The people spread across this great country, all working toward the same purpose. And you and people like you across the country are who we heard from. The result is a report that identifies legislative, regulatory, and policy changes to promote agriculture, economic development, growth, job growth, infrastructure improvements, technological innovation, energy security, and quality of life in rural America. Ladies and gentlemen, we envision a rural America with world-class resources, tools, and support to build a robust, sustainable community for generations to come. The report that I will present to the President will contain over 100 practical, actionable recommendations in five key areas e-connectivity, quality of life, rural workforce, technology, and economic development. The President, I can tell you, is biting at the bit to talk with you, and I expect he'll probably be tweeting a lot about it as well. In fact, I might tweet about it too at Secretary Sonny. But I want to thank you for the tremendous honor of appearing with you today and to be presenting our important report on rural prosperity to the President of the United States. This is a rare opportunity for all of us in this room, and I'll say this. As I've said, since I became the Secretary of Agriculture, traveling to more than those 30 states, six foreign countries, the one thing I will never do is apologize for the greatness of America. 
We are an exceptional nation. We should never apologize. We have no reason to apologize. And one of the biggest reasons that we are the envy of the world is gathered right here in this room representing the farmers of America. You feed this country and the world with all of your labors every day. Again, hearing from Agricultural Secretary Sonny Perdue from Nashville yesterday as he addressed American Farm Bureau Federation members. For all of our AFBF coverage, find us on Facebook and Twitter or visit RuralRadio.com. I'm Shaylee Peters on the Rural Radio Network. We saw the grain markets close higher today. Soybeans a little lower. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. As we take a look more into depth of this uh, grain market with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. Now, wheat might have led the way, uh, maybe a little bit of a short-term gain here, John. Yeah, wheat, uh, you know, has a day here. We had, I guess, a decent sale to, to, uh, to Egypt, not the U.S., Russia, um, and they paid up. You know, kind of what they've been paying, but much above where we were in 2016. I think that, you know, tenders to Egypt were going for around $175 per ton then, and we're up around 192 now. So even relative to a year ago, we're probably up $10. And I think that, you know, maybe doesn't keep the futures price high uh, or get us moving higher. But it does, you know, we get down to $4 and we're on the delivery period. That's where I, I encourage everybody who, who's inclined to try to get long wheat. That's that's the, the level, I think, at this point, delivery-wise. We're going to maybe have a surprise move one way or the other all the way leading up to Friday's USDA reports or not? I, I think it'll probably be down. I think the market maybe looks to price it ahead of time, but we are seeing, you know, in the face of heavy fund selling still, uh, I think you're seeing end users come in and buy. They're looking at the deferred contracts, say July, you know, 360 corn. If you're an end user here, you know, being able to, to acquire corn uh, in the face of what could be, you know, a tough growing year, we don't know. I mean, to lock that in at 360 is a no-brainer in my opinion. So I, I think you're getting some real good value levels here. Uh, and, you know, we're kind of through the part of the year, or at least we're, we're starting to approach it where, especially for corn, you know, guys selling physical corn to pay for inputs that they're going to be putting in the ground, whether it be seed or fertilizer, I know that's going on right now. So I think the prices are discounting themselves just due to that additional selling. But, um, you know, I think we're probably destined for 350 March corn at some point in the future. And, uh, you know, if things do get weak, we'll probably be destined for 350 March corn in the future. Uh, uh, but I'd be a little more optimistic here. I think there is some value down the road. Um, given that, uh, you know, we're still a little bit sketchy about Argentina. They did announce that a rain, or the model show will rain this weekend, but uh, I think it's still too early to kind of decipher what the, the crop looks like down there. Um, and then beans, you know, beans have been the whipping post the last week, and I, I hope we can see, you know, 960 hold here. Well, we might see um, more and more positioning leading up to the report, won't we? I think so. I think you're starting to see, given the time of the year and the budgeting that's going on, more and more bean acres are going to be going into the ground. I think that's one reason why, you know, maybe not as much of a fight for acreage. But uh, as we get into the, you know, the growing season, beans probably have the most upside, given that uh, the demand is so strong. And I look for, uh, you know, continued increase on Chinese imports. And, um, you know, it's about growing it. And right now we're doing a good job of it. And prices are reflective. John Payne. Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Be sure to go to danielsagmarketing.com. This is the Rural Radio Network.